Like, there's something in here. If you just dig deep enough, I know I'm good, thank you. Um, so it's great to be here. This is kind of like my home. I live here for almost eight years now. Um, but this is the forbidden room. I don't know why, but I, my office is right over here in the corner, the west corner. We call it the west wing. has been for um, almost eight years, but I don't have keys in here, so I, this is a little un, uncertain for me. So you got to forgive me if I don't do well. And Lance, you gotta, um got to really respect a guy who um, allows his boss to live under the same office or, or uh, roof as himself because... I visit churches for a living, and often they're, um, they're a little concerned when I come. They're all like, oh, no, what are you going to do to us? What are you doing here? And Lance puts up with me every day, but um, we rarely see each other because we're both so busy and gone, and uh, we do get to hang out a fair amount here. So it's great to be here. Lots of worlds colliding. Some of my staff is some of your people. Some of my people are your people. Tom Eisenhart, the founder of this church, literally pulled me out of a out of an archer's concert line and asked me if I wasn't supposed to be in the ministry when I was 19. And I'm like, ministry? Like, you trust me, they do not want me. Um, I said, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're crazy. So um, I oversee four square churches from Fargo to the Pacific Ocean. 196 of them, um, I think, last I checked. And... Um, we are excited that you are part of that family of churches. Now, I hope that Lance doesn't talk to you a whole lot about Foursquare because it's really not that important because what's important in my mind is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is expanding within Foursquare. Without, it doesn't really matter what label they have, but what matters is that Jesus is being glorified. And, and yet within a family, there's certain distinctives that you're able to do and you're in a series that I get to do the fourth is it the fourth and final one? Um, yeah, so I get to wrap it up for you, and we'll see if he has to clean it up next week, but I'll be somewhere else, but it won't matter. Um, a part of those 1,600 churches in the U.S., 1,900 congregations uh, around the U.S., um, there's 70,000 of us worldwide, and we're just trying to reach people for Jesus. But part of what happens is right down the hall here is a little office that Chad Eisenhart um, runs. It's called Disaster Relief, Foursquare Disaster Relief. And part of your giving goes there, and we help take care of disasters all over the world. Just recently, there was a big, huge mess in the Philippines that took place, and there's a bunch of rebuilding going on there. <coughs> We've been really active in Haiti a couple of times now. Um, we have a Turkish national leader who's a friend of Wendy and ours that we've hung out with named Isan Ospek. And uh, we've given a bunch to help him feed Syrians that now live in Turkey. And he's reaching out to them uh, and just doing an amazing job. And so part of your family commitment are all those different things going on all over the world. Today I want to give you a message that um, is just more something percolating in my heart than something that's really scripted and well thought through and well planned and um, I have those kinds of messages and uh, in fact Diane who goes here who's my administrator wanted me to give you one of those when I and I'm because she really liked it she's heard it several times no they need this one and I'm like this one's going in my heart so I'm going to do this 
It's coming out of an experience, several experiences, but a couple of primary ones. One is I had the opportunity to attend the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. with 3,000 of my closest friends for three days about a month ago. And uh, that experience really, uh, really messed with my head in good ways. Um, I'm not a big political guy. I'm not a big government guy. I kind of take it all with a grain of salt, you know, like whatever. Uh, I think they're all a little bit interesting, but um, it's really interesting right now. But what happened at this experience was not at all what I thought would happen, because here there's 140 nations. There are um, people leading this prayer meeting from both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, sharing a pulpit and going back and forth in messages and leading a, a, a prayer time. And first of all, I, I can't put those things together in my mind. They keep just missing each other. I cannot possibly even imagine that. Uh, because what I was reminded again is the, the nature of story. If you have a story, you have a conflict and you have a villain, right? So every news story has that in it. And I'm not saying that there are not villains in this world today. I'm not saying that certain government officials are not those that belong in that position. I'm just simply saying that it messed with my mind to have 140 nations, both parties, praying together in the name of Jesus. I honestly couldn't put all that together in my head. And so I started watching, and the guy that took me had been there a bunch of times, and he got me into some pretty cool places where I'm able to meet some people that were part of the beginning of this and explaining the heart for it. And it messed me up. So I'm here to come out of the closet and tell you I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm serious. I'm not going to call myself a Christian any longer. What I experienced here was that Christianity didn't mean what I thought it meant. And they weren't allowed in this experience to use the, the title Christian. They were, they were talking about following Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's what I signed up to do. I didn't sign up to be part of a political party. I didn't sign up for anything like that. I found at 18, after having been raised in a mess, that Jesus still loved me. That Jesus died on a cross for me. And let me just tell you, that was not inside my worldview when I, when I heard that story. I didn't know that Jesus died for my sins. I didn't know that Jesus rose from the grave for me. I didn't know that he loved me. I didn't know that Jesus rescued me. So my title's changing. And I'm not going to call myself a Christian. I'm going to call myself a Jesus guy. And I have a friend that's been doing this for a long time, and I just thought, you're kind of weird. Don't do that. Can't you just be normal? And you go, no, I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy. And I'm like, you're just kind of weird. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that guy that just, I just have to be a little different. At this prayer breakfast, I got to hear from Ben Zorbrus of the World Series. That was cool. Rick Warren, uh, a, uh, a king. Um, I got to hear from all these different people. But what was interesting is they wouldn't allow them, because they told me about how this was founded, to use Christianity. What they would talk about is Jesus. You could pray in the name of Jesus. 140 different nations. So, Jesus is what I signed up for. Jesus is who died for me. Jesus is who I live for. 
And when I say the word Christian, some people in their mind automatically think that I hate them, that I am a bigot. When I use the word Christian, some people think I'm talking about a political stance. When I use the word Christian, some people think that, I, that I'm not in love with my Savior, that I simply am part of a sect or a certain value system. Some people think I'm talking about a cultural worldview. Some people think I'm talking about moral views. Some people think that in order to become one, if I invited them to, they would have to leave their family or their identity or any of those kinds of things in order for them to simply do what I would call fall in love with Jesus. But in their mind, what I'm talking about isn't that. So I started thinking about, well, what's the word Christian mean? Depending on how you study the Bible, there's one to three verses in the Bible that use the word Christian. The most common accepted term for Christian comes out of Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And it wasn't even people calling themselves Christians. In Acts eleven twenty-six, 26, it says this, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Did they call themselves Christians? No. They were called Christians. And the term literally meant little Christ, Christ follower. Those people are talking about Jesus. They're following Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him. And so therefore, they are little Christ. The other one that's most commonly used and accepted, because, you know, we're talking about a translation here. We translated the Bible and so there's words that could be changed as you translate. Acts chapter 26, verse 28 says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think in such short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? What he meant was, could you persuade me to become a Christ follower? That's what he was saying. Now, the definition is the one who believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Redeemer of mankind. The term was first applied to those disciples that we just read about in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. But what happens is it takes on a whole different meaning after centuries. I don't think Jesus was a Christian. Kind of a weird thought, isn't it? Of course he was. He came to start Christianity. Did he? I don't think he did. He said, follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, come, become part of this worldview or this sect. He just said, come follow me. Come follow me. So I got to meet this dude named Carl Medeiros. He wrote one of my favorite books. It's called The Art of Not Evangelism. And in this book, I'm going to tell you a couple stories out of his book and out of his blogs. Um, he, um, I got to meet him at the, at the prayer breakfast thing in a, in a private meeting kind of thing somebody arranged. And um, in this book, he does this study, loose study. Let's just call it that. He goes to Boulder, Colorado. He just walks up to people in Boulder, Colorado and asks them this question. I want a positive or a negative response from this. I'm going to say one word to you. You tell me whether it gets a positive or a negative. One word. Ready? Now, we've got to remember Boulder, Colorado is kind of like Eugene, Oregon, only more liberal than Eugene, I would say. So he walks up. I'm going to say this word. Thumbs up or down? 
Christian. 100% of people, thumbs down. All of them, negative view. I'm going to say this word. You tell me whether it's positive or negative. Jesus, 100% positive. Christian. Now, I, when I use the word Christian, I mean Jesus Christ follower, somebody that loves Jesus. But what they hear is not what I'm trying to communicate. In the same book, he tells this story of being in Baghdad during Desert Storm. Were you guys there? No? Thanks for serving, by the way. Um, he's in Baghdad, and he shows up at this hotel, and the guys are flipped out. They're like, what are you doing here? Like, are you with the military? Are you like Secret Service? What are you? No, like, Jesus, we just followed Jesus here. And he's like, What? No, Jesus is in Baghdad? Yeah, he's here. We followed him here. They're like, I have to tell my father. My father's been telling me that there's, there's Jesus is, is out there and, like, and, and he loves us and, and he's been telling me this all this time because this missionary came years and years ago and gave us this cassette tape and it had the stories of Jesus in it. In fact, we listened to it every night until that cassette tape was worn out. It didn't work anymore. My dad says, there's a book about those stories. He goes, yeah, I've been passing them out in the streets of Baghdad all day long. And he's like, no. He's like, yeah, no, really. He goes, I gotta have one. So he starts going through all of his stuff. He finally finds one, and this guy's over in the corner calling his dad. Dad, you have to get over here right now. His dad comes to the hotel just in a few moments, and he hands him the one Bible that he finds. He hands it to him. It's a New Testament, and he's just looking through it, and he's like, these are the stories of Jesus. These are the stories of Jesus. These are the stories of, of God. So what I have found in my thinking is this. The word Christian means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But it doesn't mean what I mean. It doesn't mean Christ follower. So this week, here's what I am in. Lance is getting ready for his 10-year party Everybody's coming by saying, yay, Lance and Paula, you're amazing. I'm up all night studying my brains out because I serve my friend Lance. He just wants the Sunday off because he had a party last night. <laughs> and I'm happy for you. Um, that's awesome. And so I'm in this class, and I'm with a bunch of different Christian leaders from around the world. There's that word again. Uh, Jesus followers. And I start asking them, hey, I'm thinking about this topic, and I'm going to thinking about talking about this. And uh, this one guy is from Lebanon. He speaks five languages. He's a, 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 a missionary through uh, an organization many of you would recognize. And uh, another guy's an American, raised Californian. He's a, he's a missionary in Tajikistan. And, uh, he's, uh, and another person that I'm with is um, uh, an American woman, just graduated from college, just getting married. She was raised in Indonesia, and there was a Russian guy who had immigrated to the U.S. when he was like 10 or 15. He's now a pastor in, um, in Hollywood. And, uh, and then there's two old white guys, two guys named Dave, Dave and Dave, Dumb and Dumber. Um, that's me and, me and my friend. And so we're having this conversation around this meal, and I'm asking him, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about not being a Christian anymore. I'm thinking about being a Jesus follower. And they all just went, lit up. Every one of them go like, you know where we are? You can't use that word. I'm like, why? 
where we serve, it's a very bad word. These guys speak five languages, you know, like they're all over the world. They're international thought. They see the world a little different than, than those of us that have been in America, our entire worldview. And so I'm like, talk to me. What do you know? So the guy says, this is what they said. This just cracked me up. The guy in Tajikistan said this. Christian, in those people's minds, means this. You eat pork, you drink alcohol, and you're loose with women. <laughs> what? Because, no, that's, that's what they think. If I say I'm a Christian, that's what comes to their mind. You eat pork. It's not exactly what I meant. The guy says, no, in Morocco, this is crazy. In Morocco, it means you're a French woman without a bra. <laughs> like, what? And the, and the lady that grew up in Indonesia said, no, if I say I'm a Christian, it means what's stamped on my ID card at birth. And if I change religions, it's proselytizing, and you have to go to prison. It has nothing to do with your personal faith. It has to do with what your family of heritage assigned you at birth. They say, internationally, we can't use those terms. And the Russian guy's getting angry. I can see it. I know this guy. He's Alex. He's my friend. I know Alex's story. Alex's father spent 10 years in a Siberian prison for his faith. The entire family has immigrated to the U.S. so they could have a, a religious freedom. He's like... It's a good word. My father spent 10 years in prison because he was one. I'm thinking the definition in Russia is a little different than Morocco. Right? I'm thinking the definition in Russia is it might be a little bit different than it is in the United States because most people, when they say, I'm a Christian, are not facing imprisonment. Most people say that. They're like, oh, nice. You're, that's nice. I mean, you mean trying to be a nice person, Right? So here's, I started thinking about this. What do words mean? Do words change meaning? So I, I Googled that, right? Do words change meaning? Listen to this. Nice. Nice, this word literally meant silly or foolish or simple. Nice. You're foolish. Would you say that with somebody? You said, you're so nice. I mean, am I trying to say you're foolish? No. But at one point, that's what it meant. Silly, here's what that meant. Meanwhile, silly went the opposite direction in the earliest of its uses. It referred to things worthy or blessed. From there, it came to refer to the weak and the vulnerable, and more recently, to those who are foolish. Silly. How about this one? Awful. One of my favorite words. That's awful. Say it. Awful. Did you say awful? Awful. Here's what it meant. Here's what it used to mean. Worthy of awe. Could you say God is awful? That's horrible. No, worthy of awe. It actually worked at one point. Today, you can't do that. Here's my favorite one. You guys will like this one. The word fizzle. Fizzle. Okay, the word fizzle once referred to an act of producing a quiet flatulence. Think SBD. That's what flatulence means. <laughs> Can you imagine? But the American college slang flipped the word, meaning now means to fail at something, to falter. You fizzle. Did you fizzle? Oh. <laughs> uh, I should go on, but they're so funny. 
So funny. Uh, how about naughty? Long ago, if you were naughty, you had not your nothing. That's not what you say when somebody's naughty, right? Today, if you're naughty, what? You're evil, immoral, you're badly behaved, you're naughty. But I said, don't be naughty. I mean, it's like you don't have anything. Like, I'm broke, I'm naughty. So you know what? I'm not a Christian. Doesn't mean what I mean when I say the words to too many people. I'm a Jesus guy. Because I love Jesus. I don't love a political party. I don't love what certain people think Christianity stands for. John 1.10 says, He was in the word, and through him the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came to, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our savior and our shepherd. Jesus gives us life. Jesus is the one that unifies us. Jesus is our savior. He's our God. Jesus is the one that I love. Jesus is the one that's for all mankind and he does not discriminate. And secondly, heaven is real. Last Saturday, I did my friend's funeral. 65 years of age, just passed over at a heart attack. And I'm thinking like, I feel bad for his family because they miss him. He's a great guy. But this guy, he, his body was ridden hard and put away wet. I'm just telling you, this guy ran hard. And he was in a lot of pain. He just hurt because he, he just worked so hard. He was just a goer. He, he was one of my favorite people. But I'm thinking like, dude, you get a new body. And he needs one. And all of us are going to get some point where we're going to like, pick me. I need a new body. You know, right now you might be happy. But sooner or later you go like, oh, I'll sign up for that. I'll be good. Same dinner conversation with the same international people. I told them about this message, and I said, I wanted to talk about heaven as well. And they went, oh, is it a, a war-torn area? Like, it's Tacoma. I mean, maybe a little bit in some people's <laughs> minds, but we don't tell them. They think it's so bad, so they won't move here. That's okay. Right? No, not really. They said, our experience is that in war-torn areas, people talk about heaven a lot. If you think you might die, you think about heaven. You think about heaven. When does it come up? You know, uh, whenever somebody dies, or somebody makes a touchdown, or wins some sort of award show with a red carpet, they all are thanking someone who's in heaven, right? Somebody... You know, Uncle Tommy made me, told, told me how to play football. Thank Uncle Tommy. Yeah, he's up there. Not everybody's up there. I used to love studying the little white light when people pass, had beyond and back experiences. You ever studied it? And it's really interesting. Almost everybody that has a beyond and back experience will tell you about a white light. 
They'll say, I was headed to a white light, and all of a sudden somebody hit me with the paddles, and I'm like, gosh, what are you doing that for? I was headed in a great spot. And they come back mad. My wife's mother came back after they, they did that with her. She was mad. She had cancer, stage four cancer, and they brought her back. She's like, what did you do that for me? Why? She seriously was upset. I mean, she, she, it wasn't a good experience over the last few days. She was on her way to heaven. What people don't know is the white light is taking them to Jesus. And if they know him and if they're a Jesus guy or gal, he's going to welcome them with open arms because who you're friends with down here is who you're going to be friends with up there. And that's what gives you the pass. You know why these international people told me that we don't talk about heaven in America much? Because we like it where we are. Because we're comfortable. Because life is, for the most part, good. So we don't need to talk about heaven. But this is not your address. This is not your permanent residence. And this month hitting 60, I'm like, this is a short stay. 60 years went by like that. I don't know what happened. But obviously it happened. I don't think I'm 60, but the people, the TSA, whenever I go out on an airplane, they go, all those body parts still yours? They're metal in there? How old do I look? I don't even have to ask the question, right? Because they're already telling me how old I look. You look like you're replacing parts. No, they're still all mine. They want to replace it. That's another story. My friend Samuel Rodriguez, who was uh, famous for being the first Latin American to address, I forget what it was, Congress or something of that nature. He was an ordained assembly of God minister at 17. We've had him speak at our conference. He tweeted this this morning. Temporary rewards of this world cannot compare to God's eternal blessings. Temporary rewards. What you have right here is temporary. You've gone through your closet lately or your garage, like, why did I buy that? It's just a piece of fod, right? You guys know fod, foreign object debris. Um, heaven. John 14, 1 through 4 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Do you know the way? So many people spend their whole lives trying to figure out how the end of the world is going to happen. They're pre-tribulation rapture people, post-tribulation rapture people. There's mid-tribulation rapture people. They have a charted and graphed. I'm a pan-trib guy. It'll all pan out. <laughs> if I'm walking with Jesus, I'm going to be there. That's all you really need to know. Walk with Jesus. I'm a Jesus guy. He's coming back. He's coming for me. He's coming for Jesus' people. We have this whole all dogs go to heaven mentality. All dogs don't. All dogs might. People not. <laughs> Jesus is our soon and coming king. Four squares. Savior, healer, baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and soon and coming king. Jesus is coming back. He is the Lord. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day, and he's coming back. But I don't think he's coming back for Christians. 
think he's coming back for Jesus followers. Because the word Christian doesn't mean the same as it did in Acts chapter 4, whatever it was. Little Christ, followers of Jesus. Today, it means many different things that you and I are not trying to say to people. John 14, 3 says, I will come back and take you with me. Where's he going to take us? Where'd Jesus go? He ascended on high, right? Where's he going to take us? With him. John 14, 28. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. What he's saying is, I'm leaving this place. I'm blowing this popsicle stand. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to come back and get you. Now, is he coming back all at one time? I think he will at some point. But what matters isn't so much when that happens. What matters is that we're ready because all of us don't know if we have tomorrow. We just don't know that we have tomorrow. And all of us, so many of us, I shouldn't say all, most of us assume that our tomorrows are guaranteed forever and forever. And when something happens to us physically, when someone dies in America, we just have a cow because we don't know what to do. Because we don't honestly believe that we'll see him in heaven, quite honestly. If we knew this was our temporary address, we would not be so concerned about departing this address. If someone moved across the country, uh, I mean, um, we pastored on a naval air base for 20 years. We didn't say goodbye to people. We said, see you later. Because we see them still all the time, all over the world. People moving addresses doesn't do that. But when we have a worldview of death being final, it really messes people up, doesn't it? When you have a worldview of Jesus being Lord, him dying for your sin, him raising on the third day, him coming back for you, you have hope. And you know what the world doesn't have today? It doesn't have hope. What would they hope in? Their 401k? I mean, really? They're doing great right now, but, you know, that's going to blow. I mean, that just cycles come and go. That's not what their hope is. You never have enough stuff. You never have enough money. You never have, but what you have is a promise of God coming back for you. I don't think he's coming back for Christians. And I don't want to be associated with a lot of them these days. I used to be embarrassed of Christians. Now, I'm just not one. <laughs> yeah, they're really weird. I'm a Jesus guy, though. I'm not like them. How about you? Are you a Jesus follower? Because that's what he died for. Do you love Jesus? Because that's what he wants. Are you following him? Because that's all he's asking. You don't need to become religious or clean this up or that up. I just fell in love with Jesus, and little by little things fell away. And you know what? I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years now, and there's still stuff he needs to change in me. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. She'll give the whole list. <laughs> so as the band's coming back up, Jesus, he's for you. And I just want to ask you a few questions like, are you a follower of him? If you're not already, would you consider praying this prayer with us? Heaven's waiting for you. If you don't make it to tomorrow, 
if you're a Jesus follower, you're graduating. You're graduating. And if you just keep living here for a long, long time, keep walking with him because he's coming back. He's coming back for you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, would you repeat this prayer with me? Say it out loud after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I give you my life, every bit of it. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit because I know that you are our soon and coming King. Help me to follow you with every bit of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.